son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, make him their watchman. If he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet, does not take warning, and the word comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take a warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that mm. the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. Mm. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear the word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked, turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but in his blood I will require but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his own way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you shall be delivered. You shall have delivered your soul. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we have wrought away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him from, his, from him when he transgresses. And as for the, wicked of the, the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live. Yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has remembered, his done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Yet if he turns from his sins and does what is right, just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. Yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just, O house of Israel. Mm. I will judge each of you according to his way. Word of the Lord. Mm. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Mm. Thanks so much. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your holy word, which is like a double-edged sword cutting between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And Lord, we want to offer ourselves to you this morning to the sword of the word. 
that we might be exposed and examined before you and that we might have the opportunity to repent of those things we need to repent of and to remain faithful in those things that you have given to us. Lord, anoint the preaching of your word this morning and uh, may, you, may all of us hear from you. And as we come to the holy table where we have your symbols of body and blood, the sacrifice of the incarnate son for our sins, may we have great hope as we listen to the word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Please have a seat. Please have a seat. Uh, well, let me just first of all say what a, what a joy and an honor it is to be uh, back at the Church of the Redeemer. Um, it is, um, we have missed you many, many a day, and uh, your sweet fellowship and uh, your, your kindness to us in so many ways, but uh, but in the midst of all that sort of sorrow that we sometimes have, we've had such great joy in knowing that God has put a great shepherd in your midst. And you have been a faithful congregation and rallying around uh, the, the Reese family as they've ministered. And God bless you each for, uh, for your faithfulness. Um, I want to invite you to turn to uh, the, the, uh, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2, or as a former president once scandalized many people by saying, two Corinthians, so uh, exposing the fact that he was a Presbyterian. So two Corinthians, uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men but we are made manifest to God and hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We're not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Oh, Father, we thank you for this holy word, and we pray now that you would make it manifest and clear to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to start in Ezekiel 33, and then we're going to kind of end or, or sum things up in 2 Corinthians 5, because they go together. You can see it, can't you? It feels like it. There's this call to reconciliation. There's righteousness. There's sinfulness. Um, there's uh, the, the, the valley of decision in which we must decide which way to go. And, um, and I think it's instructive to go back to Ezekiel 33, because Ezekiel is one of the last of the uh, of the. Um, prophets before the exile. In fact, he kind of crosses over in between the exile uh, and, and the last remnants of the time of Israel. In fact, at the end of chapter 33 uh, that, that Tiago read for you, beginning in verse 21, we hear, in fact, of the capture of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Uh, and so Ezekiel is part of that first group that is taken into exile. This is um, in, the, uh, in the year 589. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes down and they, they take control of Jerusalem. They install uh, a, a sort of puppet king. We've never had that happen, of course, in our great country, so we're all glad about that. But uh, a puppet king who could be controlled by other forces, who was himself not competent to rule, but was controlled by other forces, so that Babylon could rule over Israel vicariously. That was, the, uh, that was what they, well, this is what they always did in ancient times. King Herod was a puppet king. He was put in charge of Judea in the time of Christ by uh, Augustus, uh, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And that's what empires have always done. They've always had their little yes men to do their bidding. And so Manasseh, who was the king uh, at this point, uh, was, that, was that sort of yes man. Now while Ezekiel is in Babylon, he has a vision of God. God appears to him in a chariot of fire. And God commissions him to be a prophet to his people all the way from Babylon. So he's not, he's not in Israel preaching to his people. He's away in exile in Babylon. And God gives him a word to preach to the people who are both in exile in Babylon, but also who are back in Judea. And he gives all sorts of other prophecies about the nations around him. But in chapter 33 and 34, we get some very important crystallizing prophecies uh, about, that, uh, that God has given to, to Ezekiel. And the first thing that we learn in chapter 33 is that God called Ezekiel to be a watchman. And this has many applications. Obviously, in its own time, Ezekiel was singled out by God to be a watchman. He was one of the priests, so he knew the inner workings of the temple. He knew the sacrificial system. He also knew what happened inside the Holy of Holies. And when he has the vision of God in the chariot of fire, he's getting a heavenly vision of the thing that he knew of on earth in the temple. And he sees now the real deal after seeing the perversion, and, uh, perversion of it on earth. And now he's declared to be a watchman for the people. And here is what the word of the Lord to Ezekiel is in chapter 33. Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, if I bring a sword upon the land, if I bring a sword upon the land, think about that for a second. That's in the subjunctive mood. So that's saying I may or I may not, but it's indicative of what's likely to happen. If I bring a sword upon the the land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, 
Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. Now this is a clear, normal Old Testament type passage, isn't it? The judgment of God is coming upon the land. And the judgment of God is coming upon the land, we find out a little bit later because in verse 11 we read, or verse 10 we read, um, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we are rotting away in them. How can we survive? That was the state of Israel at the time of the Babylonian invasion. And the reason God allowed the Babylonians to invade, he had restrained them for many, many years, but the reason he allowed them to invade was because Israel had become more perverse than the Babylonians. They'd brought idols into the temple. They'd put idols on every high place in Jerusalem. They were even worshiping according to the Canaanite god Moloch. They were sacrificing their children on the altar of their own unrighteousness. And uh, you know, I, I think the clearest picture of that in our own day is, is the whole abortion industry, where within the abortion industry, uh, people are persuaded that they can pay for their sins by getting rid of their children, and then still go to college and have a great future. Not knowing the epidemic of depression that exists in many women secretly in America who feel the grief of the trespass of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. So there's a, there's a clear, there, there was a clear departure of Israel from the ways of God. They were sacrificing their children to Moloch. They were worshiping idols even in the temple, even in the very holy sanctuary, they were worshiping false gods. How many churches have brought in the gods of their culture into their worship, into, their, into the way that they uh, fear the things of this world, dare I say. So Israel had drifted so far away and yet, they had sort of a, a mixture of, of, of worshiping God mixed in with fearing the things of this world. They had a mixture, a mixed religion. And uh, of course, we know from the book of Revelation that you've either got to be hot or cold because God's going to spit the lukewarm out. And so the watchman is Ezekiel, and he's called to warn the people of Israel about the coming judgment of the Lord. Now, it's interesting the judgment of the Lord is going to come upon Israel. In fact, earlier in Ezekiel, I think it's in chapter eight, um, Ezekiel is weeping and praying before the Lord saying, Lord, save my people, save Israel, restrain the judgment that's to come, restrain them, oh Lord, please have mercy in Israel. And God sort of slaps him over the head and says, Ezekiel, get up. Even if Noah or Job or Daniel prayed for these people, I would not listen. There are only hooks for them, hooks for their noses that they might be dragged away into exile. Wow. The judgment is coming. What are the people of God to do in light of the fact that the judgment is coming? Well, thanks be to God, he's not left us alone. He has allowed the people of God to gather and to choose a watchman and to set him on top of the parapet to give warning and to blow the trumpet. You know, one of the most important reasons why you're supposed to come to church, even during scary times, is because God has given you a watchman who will blow the trumpet. And think about how many watchmen in other churches haven't blown the trumpet. They've gotten all nervous and scared or whatever it is, or they've decided to adopt the culture, follow the ways of the world. 
You know, I know there was a movement about 10 years ago by the, uh, by, frankly, the, the federal government to try to recruit pastors into something called, I think it was called the Romans 12, or maybe it was the Romans, the Romans 13 compact. It was this idea that in Romans 13 it says, you know, obey the state, obey the mass, you know, the, the one who carries the sword, and that it's the responsibility of Christians to mindlessly obey the state. And the pastors were being recruited, they were given little flags and badges and little, you know, conferences to go to, if they could convince their congregations in all things to obey the state. Now, we want to honor our leaders, don't we? Of course, Christians are the ones that pay their taxes, obey the laws, pray for their leaders. We do more than anybody does. But our first loyalty is to Jesus Christ, isn't it? He is our king, not some president, whether it's this one or that one. Jesus Christ is our king. And we we live in our culture as honorably as we can, as long as we're not called to trespass the ways of God. And of course, that ring is getting tighter and tighter around us, isn't it? There's fewer and fewer ways that we can live godly in this world without trespassing the ways of God. But God has given to churches watchmen who can proclaim to you the truth of the gospel, it's a very scary thing to be a pastor. I worry, I worry about the day of judgment when I have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he asks me, did you tell them the whole counsel of God or were you scared to talk about certain things? Were you afraid to talk about LGBTQ? Were you afraid to talk about divorce? Were you afraid to talk about fornication? Were you afraid to talk about greed and and, uh, pornography or, or theft or whatever else is out there? Did you just preach happy sermons about flowers and, and lambs and animals? Or did you preach the full counsel of God? You see, Tiago's under the same uh, terror. Emerson as well. Everton as well. Those who preach the gospel are under a divine microscope. Because look at what it says in verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, but runs away and hides, right? Like many have this last year. And the people are not warned. The sword will come upon the land. It's coming anyway but I will require of the watchmen the blood of those who have died in their iniquities. Now, this is a very serious thing for Ezekiel, you can imagine, can't you? Um, And two things are clear from this one portion of passage. Number one, the judgment of the Lord is coming upon a land that has rebelled against his ways. There's no way to avoid it. There's no way to avoid it, it's coming. And it may be true even for our land as well. And this little, you know, this illness that has a a 99.83% recovery rate that has so terrified so many people may just be the beginning of the birth pangs. There may be something even more terrifying coming. In fact, from the Senate hearings, we found out that they were not only working on COVID, they were working on other things too, weren't they? All sorts of things that are in the pipelines. In fact, a person I know that works in Pharmaceutical industry says there are 83 patents on future vaccines that lay ahead of us. They're getting ready for something big, right? So judgment is coming. What are we to do? That's the first thing. Second thing is God has given us a watchman. The word of God proclaimed by men of God is going to warn us about what to do. Some people will listen and it says um, if the... um, Uh, let's see. um, He who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning. The sword will come and take it away. He who hears the sound of the trumpet uh, but did not take warning, uh, sorry, his blood will be on his own head. But had he taken warning, 
he would have delivered his life. So there are two destinies that lie ahead of us when the judgment of the Lord comes upon this land. Those who hear the warning of the watchman will save their lives. Those who do not listen to the warnings of the watchman will be carried away in their own folly, their own rebellion, and their own iniquity. Now, Ezekiel goes on, uh, sorry, the Lord goes on in verse seven and says to Ezekiel, now son of man, I've appointed you for a watchman to the house of Israel, so you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. This is the heavy implication that pastors are under. We have to be men of holiness and godliness so that we can hear the word of the Lord to give it to the people so that the people can hear the word of the Lord and do the word of the Lord. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die and you do not speak and warn that wicked man from his way, that wicked man will die in his iniquity, but I will require his blood from your head. Now, God says all this to Ezekiel because even the people know this truth in verse 10. We are rotting away in our transgressions. What shall we do? Well, here's the beautiful word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is, I do not take delight in the death of the wicked. God has no pleasure in seeing the wicked die in their iniquity. Rather, this is the message of Ezekiel to Israel that corresponds with the message of Christ to the church today. And that is, turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sins and come back to me. That is the word of the Lord. That's always the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord from the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden. When God is calling out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Right? The, the, the response of Adam should have been to turn from his wicked ways and come to the Lord. But what did he do instead? He did what every human being does. Denial and blame. Right? He denied his sins, he put the little fig leaves on, and then he blamed Eve. And that's what we all do when we're caught in our sins. Instead of returning to the Lord in repentance, we deny that we've really sinned and we blame somebody else. And ever since Adam and Eve, we've been doing the same thing throughout history. Unless we finally hear the word of the Lord and do repent and return to the Lord so that we can be healed. Now, there was another problem in Israel as well. And there was a sense of self-righteousness among the people of God. And, And Ezekiel was called by God to address this. He said, the wicked man who turns from his wicked ways All of his wickedness will not be held against him if he turns to righteousness. But the righteous person who falls into sin or turns away from God to sin, all of his righteous deeds will no longer be remembered. Now that's a scary thought, isn't it? Because most of us have a checklist. Well, I'm doing pretty good this week. Maybe I've been a little worse this week or that person's certainly doing really bad, but I'm doing pretty good. But you see, what matters is not how much good you did do, or how much bad you did do, but what is your state now before the Lord? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ, or have you taken the wedding garments of the Lord and jumped into the mud? And the muck of what? Self-righteousness. This is one of the great problems. He says the righteous man um, will not, the righteousness of the righteous man will not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Um, and uh, when I say to the righteous, he will surely live, and so he trusts in his righteousness that he commits iniquity, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. 
And you see, this is a huge problem. And it was a huge problem in Israel because people were trusting in their own righteousness or they were being depressed by their own wickedness. They didn't yet have the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. It was still yet to come. And so the people rebel against God and say, you're unfair. It's unfair that you don't remember all the good deeds of the righteous, but when they rebel against you and start worshiping idols and sacrifice their kids to Moloch, you hold them accountable. Why can't you take all the good things that they've done before and weigh it out against the bad things that they've done? He said, well, then God would say, because I'm not Muslim, because <laughs> that's how Islam works. You weigh the good against the bad, and whatever way the scales tip, that's the way you go. God requires holiness of his people, not just a little bit more good than the bad. The people say it's unfair. It's unfair that the wicked person who's done all these wicked deeds should get away with it all if he turns back to the Lord. And God says, look, you think it's unfair, but I will judge each one according to his ways. We all have to know that. We all have to hear that word from the Lord. Now, in verse 21 of Ezekiel, God does send judgment on Israel. And guess what he does to the wicked who hide in the cities? He kills them. What does he do to the wicked that hide in the countryside? he kills them too. What about the wicked who hide in caves? He kills them with pestilence. God will hunt out with justice all those who rebel against his ways. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Now the righteous are gathered around Ezekiel, but Ezekiel's not very pleased with the righteous either because listen what he says. He says, they come to you as my people and they sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after gain. Behold, you're like, you, are like, you are to them like a beautiful singer who sings a beautiful song and plays well on the instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. And so when it comes to pass, as it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. You see, the righteous don't get off as well either because although they love to hear the righteous words of the Lord, they don't put them into practice. Now we turn to 2 Corinthians to close. And in 2 Corinthians, we have a deeper interpretation of the the role of the watchman. And uh, the watchman in 2 Corinthians is no longer Ezekiel, it's Paul. Just like Ezekiel was called personally by God in the chariot of fire. So Jesus was called, uh, sorry, Paul was called personally by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And God anointed Paul to be a watchman to his people and to the Gentiles, to proclaim the full counsel of God, to make known to them clearly, pleadingly, the truth and the word of God. And so we get a little glimpse of, of Paul's heart in first, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says this, this is very interesting. Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord. Paul knew as a watchman that if he did not declare the full counsel of God to his people, they would die in their iniquity, but he would be held accountable for not giving them the full counsel of God, for sugarcoating sin, for kind of hedging around different forms of rebellion, for giving a pass on idolatry, or infanticide. I live in a state of infanticide. Did you know that in Virginia, the governor has lovingly said that he wants to make sure that kids that don't die during abortion but are still born, that will lovingly kill them and make them comfortable after birth. 
Can you believe that kind of craziness in our world and in our country? How can that kind of stuff continue without the sword of God coming upon the land? And so we must take warning as believers. We must take warning and say to ourselves, Lord, how can we repent and return to you more clearly? And so Paul says this, knowing the fear of the Lord. Paul was not governed by the fears of this world. He was governed by the fear of the Lord. He knew that it was more dangerous to risk eternity than it was to risk a few more months here on earth. And I dare say, I know we all all have different opinions about the masks and the vax and the COVID and whatever's coming next, but brothers and sisters, you who are the children of God must fear God more than you fear man. If you fear man more than you fear God, you may be willing to make bargains with this world that will lead to your destruction. And if you do die, if you do die of whatever's COVID-21, whatever's coming next, (laughs) you'll be with the Lord. What is there to fear about death as Christians? Have we made heaven on earth so desirable that we no longer desire heaven in the heavens of the Lord? Are we so bound and tied to the little timelines we have here on earth that we forget the coming eternity with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies? Brothers and sisters, we have to have a forward-looking mindset as believers. And that's not to make light of it. Many people have died of COVID. Many people have gotten ill and sick and damaged, and it's real. There are real dangers in our world. But we are the house of God. And you know what can happen in the house of God? Miracles. People can be healed of diseases. People can be forgiven of their sins. People who are terrified can be liberated from their fears and live in the confidence of the Lord. And we are supposed to be lights to the world. Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord. I don't want to disappoint you, Lord. I don't want to disobey you, Lord. I don't want to declare that I don't believe in you, Lord, because I'm so afraid of everything. I'm more afraid of disappointing you than I am of all the risks of this world. That's what Paul's saying, knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord. We persuade men. And then Paul, a little bit later on, says this. He says, um, um, uh, Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. You see, there's a, there's, a, there's a problem here. In this world, we fear man instead of fearing God, and we love man instead of loving God. In other words, we, we crave approval from human beings, and we're terrified of the things of this world. Instead of being terrified of the the judge who sits on the throne and craving the approval of the God of all history and eternity. Where are your affections set? Are they locked in fear in this world? Are you worried about what other people are going to think about you? Or are you living in the confidence of Christ and seeking only to please him with the way you live? Now Paul says, he says, we're we're not... um, Uh, So in verse 13, he said, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, having concluded this. There is an answer to all of our fears. There is an answer to all of our sins. There's an answer to all of our mistakes. 
There's an answer to the baggage, the guilt, the shame, the despair, the present fear, the past fear, the future fear. There's an answer to it. And this is the answer. We are convinced of this, that one died for all. One died for all. And that and therefore, all have died. You know, as a believer, you're already dead to this world. You don't need to worry about the COVID. You've already died to this world. You've been, when you were baptized, you were baptized into death to this world. You no longer have a stake in this world. You're not here for the things of this world. You've died to the world and you raised again and you live for Christ. Your orientation is to the coming kingdom. You're not collecting collectibles here on earth because they're all gonna burn. You're looking for the kingdom to come where you will be given a throne uh, next to Christ. We'll seated with him in the heavenlies. Knowing this, one, we believe this, convinced of this, that one died and therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live may no longer live for themselves. No longer live for themselves, <clears throat> but for him. Isn't that a joy? Do you, can you believe it? You and I have been given the privilege of living for God in this world. Living for the glory of Jesus Christ. Living to make Christ's glory known here in the world. It's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we live in this world, and this world is bombarding us with messages. Billions of messages over every form of media. I think it was up to the tune of by, by the first four weeks in March of last year, Somebody sort of did the calculations and over four billion messages of fear were pumped on the global population during those first four, four weeks of March last year to tell everybody to be afraid, quake, be terrified. It's coming, the boogeyman is around the corner. Don't look at people, don't stand near to people, don't hug people, don't touch people. You're all gonna die. And everybody was terrified. And meanwhile, while they told us all to wear masks, Fauci the fraud in his emails that have all been exposed was saying they don't work, it's all for show. And what do we do? We listen to the fears of this world, the fears of this world. And we held onto our little blankies, hoping that they would protect us. When the Lord of glory can cleanse your body of all sickness and fear. He is with us. I'm not trying to make light of it. I, I realize it's a real illness, and just like the flu is a real illness. One of, the, you know, one of the wonderful things about the COVID is nobody died of the flu. Uh, so this year, I mean, it's crazy. We don't even know how science works anymore in our culture, do we? So why are we trusting in it? Why not put our hope in the word of the Lord? Why not put our confidence in Christ? Don't we believe that God is with us? And don't we believe that God appointed us on the day that we were born? And don't we believe that he will not give us a minute more than we have been committed to him? When you die, is it an accident? Or has God appointed the day of your death? Oh, he surely has. And so you can live every day in full confidence that is secured by Christ. You're not gonna lose any extra day. Do you know that? You're gonna get every day that God has appointed for you. So live for his glory while you have life and while you have breath. And don't cower in fear. That's what the devil wants us to do. Because when the people of God cower in fear, something tragic happens. And this is the tragedy. The world is robbed of watchmen and watchwomen. You see, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was appointed a watchman. But in the New Testament, 
We are all priests of God. We are a holy priesthood, a royal nation. Every one of you is a watchman and you are to declare forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to get into politics. I don't care who's president or who's not president and what votes counted and which ones didn't. We know that this world is full of lies and schemes and the devil's in control. He's the prince of this world. But above the devil is the Lord. And he is coming. He is coming to bring judgment on the wicked and he's coming to vindicate the righteous. And so what are we supposed to do in the meantime? What is our answer to all these fears and concerns and worries and sins that people have? Paul goes on in verse 16. From now on, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even Christ we no longer recognize according to the flesh. He's the glorified, risen Christ who's ascended at the right hand of the Father as we confess in the creed. For we know um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, new things have come. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the message, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against him, and that he's committed this word of reconciliation to us. How are you gonna make this word of reconciliation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, known? If you're cowering in fear, or if your body's polluted with experimental drugs, and you're hiding away from the boogeyman. No, we're to be forward in Christ. Do you know one of the complaints of one of the Roman emperors long ago, he was spending millions of gold coins on trying to resurrect the Roman idols that nobody was going to anymore because they were all going to church. And he finally had a hissy fit in front of some of his senators. He says, I don't get it. We're paying all these pagan priests millions in, in, in gold. And when the plague comes, they all run away. And the Christians, they not only take care of their own, they take care of ours as well. Not loving their lives, even unto death. They weren't afraid to die because they had a more sure hope reserved for them in heaven. Do we believe that? Are we willing to live that way in this terrifying world? You guys think COVID was bad? Wait till the next one comes. They've got worse things planned for us. They do. And we have to be strong in the Lord. Some of us will die, but we will die in the Lord. And we will be raised on the last day and crowns will be given to us that we can cast at the feet of Christ someday. That day is coming. Some of us will live. We will live in the confidence of the Lord to proclaim the goodness of Christ to people who are terrified and in fear. Now, I know this is a crazy word from a former pastor. And you've got a crazy pastor right now too, so listen to the man. But listen to these final words. Listen to these final words from Paul. He says, um, he is committed to us this word of reconciliation. You wanna know what your purpose in life is? Jesus who died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world has taken all of those merits, all of those treasures. It's like he's put all of his righteousness on a credit card and he's given it to you. He says, I'm entrusting it to you, Debbie. Spend my credit on every pagan you know. Let the gospel of reconciliation be known to them. Bob, here it is. 
Spend my credits on every pagan you know. Make this message of reconciliation known to the world. That's your job. That is what he's committed to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Wouldn't it be, what if you got a phone call today from Biden or whoever runs Biden? And he said, I'd like to make you the ambassador to Russia. I've been watching you. I know how you handle accounts and I know what your credit cards look like. And I've chosen you to go to Moscow and be my ambassador. I think, wow, first of all, it's a big pay raise, right? Second of all, I get like a security team. I get all sorts of honors. I get to meet nice people and blah, blah, blah. Wow, what an incredible honor. Not everybody in America is an ambassador to Russia. Very few are, right? We are all ambassadors of the royal king of heaven. And he's entrusted us with his message of reconciliation to the world. Phoebe, he's given it to you this summer at Camp Good News. These little kids are going to come to you. Little kids who have been, let's be honest, abused with fear. They're afraid of faces. They're afraid of hugs. They're afraid of people. And you have to make the gospel of God's grace known to them. Each of you has some way that you're to make the gospel of God's grace known to them in these times of terror. I'm not making light of the illnesses that are out there. I'm making much of Christ who is above those illnesses. And we need to have confidence in him more than we have fears in the things of this world. You know, the Bible said it's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. The Bible also says the soul that sins must die. Quick little confessional. Is anybody in here without sin? Let me just make a quick scan. Quick scan. Paused right there, but no, no, no. What does that mean? We're all going to die. We're all going to die one day. And like the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to give up our spirit to the Lord. Would that on that day we can say, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus is the model for all of us about how we should die. He lived his life to the very end. He loved his own to the very end. And then at the very end, he gave everything he had back to the Lord, to, to his father. And he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why do we think we're going to be better than that? We can be like him whose disciples we are. And if that's the truth, and if we know that God has appointed the day of our life and the day of our death, you can live in confidence no matter what terror comes next. Maybe we've all learned our lesson this first go around. I'm sure it was a warm up for some people. We've learned our lesson. We have to be careful, right? Get your vitamin D, get your vitamin C, get your zinc, get your quercetin, whatever you're going to do, right? Be, take care of your bodies, be healthy. Don't live sloppy lives. Get off the corn syrup drip, right? Live a holy life. God cares about what you put into your temple, your body. Don't pollute your body with junk. I mean, that's lesson number one, right? I had, a, had, an, had an old friend of mine who was a pastor from Texas who, uh, who said when people asked him to come over to his house and pray for them because of their sicknesses, he said the first thing he did was go to their pantry. He said, he opened up their pantry. He said, well, listen, before I pray for you, I'd like you to help me repent of this and this and this and this. He'd take out all the junk food that caused them to be as sick as they were, right? So if one thing you can do is you can take care of your bodies. That's just a normal responsibility as, as human beings. But on the other hand, if we do get sick, turn to the Lord. Pray to him. Say, Lord, I know you've appointed the day of my life and the day of my death. Let me trust in you for every single day that I might live for your glory. And live that way. Live in peace. Live in confidence. You don't have to be afraid. God is with you. And you know what? When the day comes, when the day comes that you can't breathe 
and your heart doesn't work and the daylight starts to dim, God made this promise to every one of you. I watched even my dad walk through that day. My rod and my staff will comfort you when you go through the valley of the shadow of death. That day will come for all of us, but you know what? We won't be alone. A lot of people go through the valley of the shadow of death terrified and alone. When I was a hospital chaplain, I saw that. I saw many people die, and they died in horror. But believers who died, they always felt like there was somebody else in the room. Somebody else in the room. And they did not walk through the valley of shadow death alone. The rod and the staff of the Lord was with them. We can have confidence in that. Don't be afraid. God will be with you. And when you live in this life as many days as you have, it's to be an ambassador of reconciliation as though God himself were pleading through us, begging people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And how? He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we who are full of sins could be the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? The great divine exchange. He gave us his righteousness and he took our sinfulness. And this is the gospel. This is the message that people need to hear during whatever it is, the stolen election or the stolen year or whatever it is. Forget about the politics. Those things aren't gonna heal us, they're not gonna save us, they're not gonna solve anything. The only thing that counts is Jesus Christ and his gospel. It has the power to heal sick people. It has the power to kill, it has the power to take dying people to heaven. It has the power to make you confident in a world of fear, fear, fear. It has the power to make the loving reconciliation of Christ known to his people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me close in a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have sent us the gospel of Jesus Christ to make known to us your righteousness. We're not like the people of old who had to trust in their righteousness or worry about their wickedness, upon whom the judgment of the Lord was coming no matter what. We know that our sins have been atoned for in Christ. And though judgment may come upon our land, it will not come upon us who trust in you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be confident in Christ. Help us not only to be confident in him, but to be confident in him in the world as we make the message of the gospel known to many people. Because, Lord, now more than ever, we have seen clearly how many pagans are terrified and hopeless in this world. And we have the answer for them. It is the message of eternal life, reconciliation with God, atonement for sin, and life with Christ here and now. Oh Lord, help us not to be unfaithful ambassadors, but true ambassadors of Christ who make your ways known in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.